welcome to Open Source Underdogs. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 33 with Peter Mattis, co-founder and CTO of Cockroach Labs. Peter has some hilarious insights into the open source startup world. To me, this episode highlights how open source business models have evolved, how companies who've witnessed the proverbial carnage of the last five years are adjusting their license and business models accordingly. I'm about a month behind schedule right now. This podcast was recorded September 11, 2019. Peter was in New York City, as you can identify by the frequent sirens in the background. So without further ado, here we go. Peter, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Oh, yeah, glad to be here. Quick technology question, and then we'll revert to business. In the database space, companies are moving into adjacent markets. So Redis starts to add persistence, MongoDB starts to add caching. In this kind of market, what's the sustainable advantage for CockroachDB? It's an excellent question. I mean, what we see as our advantage right now is we're a blend. You know, you can see us as we didn't move into adjacent markets, but we saw a gap in the market. There's no SQL databases that have been out for a decade and getting a lot of traction because they provide this ease of use and easy horizontal scalability. But we also saw those uh, databases as failing application developers because they put a lot of burden on the shoulders of application developers due to their lack of transactions, a lack of schemas, a lack of indexes. And we saw this place in the middle where you could have a you know, horizontally scalable distributed SQL database. The niche we're occupying is to actually make this a geo-distributed database so we can scale geographically and support global applications. And this is becoming an increasing need in the market, what with you know, regulations such as a GDPR, but also, you know, with the advance of new technology, people are just demanding faster um, speeds from the, the products they use. User in Singapore wants to ask, access their bank data and make it feel instant, not make it feel like they're jumping halfway across the world to get access to their data. Your new BSL license or business source license states that the one and only thing you cannot do is offer a commercial version of CockroachDB as a service without buying a license. What I'm wondering is, would this actually be a bad thing? Because Elastic and MongoDB haven't exactly done badly since Amazon offered their software as a service. So is it, maybe, would it even help you? Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question. And the thing is, this is uh, some degree of risk mitigation. You know, Elastic and MongoDB, I think if they had the choice, they would go back and put a license like this in place. But they were, you know, especially in the, the case of Elastic, they're too far along to go back and, and they can't retroactively apply to the license to the source code like that. That threat from the Amazons or the Googles is real. And they sure wish they could have taken business maneuvers three years ago. And we're not facing this threat this year. We probably won't face the, the threat from the major cloud providers next year. But it's two years down the line. By the time we get to there, the, the opportunities, the moves we can make are much more limited. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, you know, we've had we had significant internal debates about this, and this is a, a, a way to, you know, just to kind of de-risk some of those eventualities. I feel the BSL is kind of this nice balance. Three years down the road, our current release of CockroachDB will be back to fully open source, but then we'll have another three years of time to have further improved it. And we actually kind of see this as aligning our incentives with the incentives of users and open source users, purely closed source software. It never has a time frame where it's going to become open, even when it's you know reached end of life for the the company. Our software will have a that time frame. You know, every three years on a rolling basis, it'll become open source, and this is our means of 
protecting against eventualities that could, you know, seriously harm or completely to, you know, destroy the company's viability. Was Michael Howard and Maria DB influential in coming to that conclusion? Uh, Maria DB uh, certainly was. We were looking out at ways that we could, you know, protect against the, the strip mining that's taking place of open source, where a company like Amazon can come in and take what has been, you know, developed by another entity and just extract all the value from it by providing it as a service. And don't get me wrong, you know, Amazon is doing, you know, a significant amount of work to provide it as a service there, but that values, you know, can oftentimes not be flowing back to the, the original developer or developers. For open source companies, I mean, this is a huge existential risk. And for open source developers, independent ones, this is just kind of like, an, you know, supreme irritation. Hey, I did all this work to, to make this awesome, beautiful bit of open source and someone else is actually getting all this value from it. That kind of sucks. So we were looking around for ways to protect against that and consider a number of alternatives. We considered closed sourcing more of the product. We didn't really want to do that. We considered not doing anything and just continue with business as usual and try to fend off you know, the Amazons or the Googles or whoever else would want to do this. And that also felt insufficient. Like, like I said earlier, the PSL felt like a nice balance between the two and gives us a pretty strong measure of protection, but it doesn't you know, completely close off the source. So it's pretty hard to write a database. Very hard. Is the community materially adding value to the product? I would say yes and no. I mean, databases, it's yes in the sense we get a lot of feedback from the community about the things they need, the things they, things they want to use. There's, you know, modest actual code contributions from the community, not huge code contributions. A database is a complex piece of software, and there's no way around that. You need to have kind of domain-specific expertise. And even within Cockroach Labs, the, the company behind CockroachDB, there's domain-specific expertise within, within various teams. You know, people working on the SQL optimizer have expertise about doing that, the SQL optimizations versus the people working on her web UI front end need the specific knowledge about observability patterns versus people working on a transactional layer that need to know about distributed transactions and protocols like Raft. So what we see is it's not just a, it's not a very approachable product for a random person to come along and make contributions. That said, we have had contributions. People have been able to do stuff both at the edges and kind of deep within the product. And, you know, over time, I expect to see that increase, especially as we, you know, as the company grows, we have more energies to support those efforts. Has the business team and the d- developers of CockroachDB, is everyone centralized or is it remote? It's not all remote. It's not all centralized. <laughs> we are primarily based in New York City. That's the, the headquarters. It's where the executive team is primarily based. We do have a remote os- office in San Francisco, uh, one in Toronto. We have a developer in Seattle and then a couple more scattered in other places. This hasn't been, you know, purely intentional. It's been, you know, opportunistic as we as we got these people, as we found people who had expertise in various areas. And of course, we have, uh, you know, the salespeople are, you know, distributed to the their various regions. So, with containers and auto scaling, the old way of pricing database seems to be totally broken. Did you find that you needed to reinvent a pricing model for your product? We are actively undergoing discussions about the way people want to consume and pay for databases and services internally right now. We have a pricing model for, you know, if you get an enterprise license and you want to deploy CockroachDB on premise, and that's kind of the more the standard. You pay for a number of cores, basically based on the number of kind of CPUs you're using. There's, you know, this is kind of translated over into our Cockroach Cloud offering. 
which is still currently in private beta. But we're very much looking towards a, a day in the future where there's more of a pay-as-you-go usage-based pricing. I mean, that seems to be the easiest thing for consumers and you know, application developers to use. It eliminates a lot of the headaches of capacity planning. But you know, in order to go along that with that kind of that model of pay-as-you-go, you need to have a database that scales elastically. And that's what we've also been developing and putting a huge amount of energy into. I think the industry is reeling a little bit after the acquisition of Red Hat by IBM. Do you have any thoughts on what that means for the commercial open source market? I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Red Hat was the you know the original open source software company. They had a little bit of a they, they had a unique success in their model, and their model was all open source, embrace open source tightly, and provide services and support for open source. And the common wisdom is that other companies trying to follow in those footsteps have run difficulties of having just a pure support and services model. So what, is it, what does the, the acquisition of Red Hat mean? And one, it's kind of a, a sign of like, hey, this company existed and grew to a massive scale and was seen as a very strategic move by IBM to buy them. I worry a little bit about what's going to mean for all the open source goodness that Red Hat was doing. But I think also open source has evolved past Red Hat. We see, you know, that the big companies, the Facebooks and the Googles and the Amazons also embracing open source, but also whole ecosystem of startups were embracing it from the early days. So kind of my overall conclusion is like, I'm, I think, you know, the industry had already moved past Red Hat by the time that acquisition had happened. MongoDB recently commented that their open source strategy was primarily related to marketing. Is commercial open source just sort of a bait and switch? What do you mean by bait and switch? The benefit of the, of the open source, they're saying, really was to get you to use the product so you would buy something. So it's really just a marketing channel. I mean, it's often viewed as a go-to-market strategy. The nice thing about open source is people can just download and start using your product without going through you know, some heavyweight hand-holding from you know, a sales rep or whatnot. And I think there's a huge validity of that. I mean, I very much prefer to use products where I can just download and start kicking the tires rather than going through whatever that is, giving someone my email address or getting on a phone call. I mean, I, I see that as, you know, kind of a marketing strategy. There, there's also, you know, a strategy, especially with something like a database, that there's, you know, concerns. A database is a very core of what businesses do. You know, they're storing data in this thing. It's holding the crown jewels for companies. And for us, there was a bit of a concern of like, how do you actually get a closed source database going again in this day and age? When, you know, as a startup, people are wondering, like, oh, are you going to be there in two years? With open source, at least, it is a reassurance that no matter what happens to Cockroach Labs, Cockroach DB, the database, will still be there. I don't think it's a complete bait and switch. I, I think there's aspects of it that are, I mean, there's aspects of any decision that are self-serving. There's aspects that are altruistic as well. I very much know that, you know, I originally got into open source due to those altruistic aspects. And, you know, seeing all the, the open source code out there, being able to get inside, tinker, learn from it. I, mean, I thought that was great. And I want to get back to it. I, I still have those feelings. I also have to balance those out against the feelings of you know wanting to have a, a company that's successful and looking at how open source can be a part of that. Recently, Cloudera and Chef have moved to an all open source strategy. Do you think we're going to see more of that trend? I, I think we're uh, going to see a period of time of experimentation in different models. I mean, there, there was kind of this feeling of there's wisdom about here's how you build a company around open source. You have open core, and you sell enterprise licenses. Then all this move to cloud and being able to monetize your open source as a service 
has kind of flipped things up in the air and started creating a, a period of time of, of innovation. So I don't know if we're going to, I'm excited to see this innovation happening because we'll see what, you know, shakes loose out of it. We're not taking that path of making everything open source. Other companies are. Some of them are going to be successful. Maybe we're successful. And history will be the judge of that. Let's talk a little bit about Cockroach. How do you segment the market? I mean, if you you have a database you can sell literally to anybody, do you just wait for customers to try it and call you? Or is there any ways like you're looking at the market to break it down and sort of attack the market? I mean, certainly... We don't necessarily do the segmentation in the, the, the same way you, you might see at other companies where they might just segment it purely on, you know, like, oh, this is banking, this is healthcare and whatnot. We do have those segments, but we're also looking at use cases and we kind of segment more on use cases. I mean, so broadly speaking, in the database market, you know, there's two huge segments if you're looking at a first level division, and that's between the analytics databases and transactional databases. And we very much have placed ourselves in the transactional database market. That's like the kind of the first level of segmentation or part of our marketing message. We want to be the system of record for various workloads and storing, not doing the analytics processing uh, workloads, but actually storing the transaction processing, storing, you know, the user records, the ledgers, the healthcare records and whatnot. Then, you know, like, you know, the kind of the further, you know, segmentation that takes place is where, where are we getting traction with regard to these use cases that people are comfortable moving on to CockroachDB now? Um, versus the ones that will be um, comfortable moving in the future. And part of this is, you know, like we break down the, the Fortune, I think it's the Fortune 2000 we look at, break down those big enterprises that have, you know, all of them have heavy database usage, but also be looking at the, you know, the startups that are coming new into the space. And for the startups, there's doing our marketing message and then training our sales engineers or accounting executives to identify the use cases that fit nicely with the current Cockroach TV capabilities. Of course, there's no license enforcement in your product, so you can't force companies to get, you know, to call you and and get a license. So is the business really on the honor system? Like, how do you get customers to actually, like, get a subscription? We do have enterprise functionality in the product, and you have to get an enterprise license to do that. In order to get an enterprise license, this is where you need to, you know, get the subscription. You have to, you know, talk to a our salespeople in order to do that. But because it's open source, there's no strong cryptography around this. I mean, there is a little bit of cryptography, but there's nothing strong. There's nothing unbreakable because it's open source. People could violate that. I mean, that way it's on the honor system. I kind of take on, is that viable? I, I think in the US, it is viable. And then most of the world is viable. I mean, China's kind of a notable exception where they're very willing to not play to that spirit and you know just take this stuff for free. But even there, you know, we have a little modest bit of traction with Baidu out in China. I think the, the interesting thing and the interesting advantage that Cockroach TV and Cockroach Labs has is that it's running a database without actually having a support contract. It's a very foolish maneuver for any company to make. It's almost like, you know, their fiduciary duty to have such contracts in place. Because if any like risk officer in those, country, uh, those companies was to look and say like, oh, hey, where are the risks of this business? You're like, oh, hey, I'm running on this open source database. But we actually have no relationship and no support contract with that uh, with the company behind that database. Maybe we'd be raising their eyebrows until they you know, jumped off the, the top of their head. So I think that way that we're in a kind of a, a very nice position where people can come in, use this as open source, and testing and development and kick the tires of the product. And when they actually start getting production, they're, gonna like, they're like, whoa, well, we, we definitely need to come talk to them. And that's when they engage with our salespeople. 
So of the products and services you offer, which is the most important from a revenue perspective today? And which product or service offering do you think has the most promise for the future? Today, it is kind of on-prem, the the enterprise licensing, where we deliver CockroachDB as quote-unquote shrink-wrap software. It's kind of a you know, a historical oddity that, you know, we actually, we don't deliver it shrink-wrapped per se. We, we give people binaries, but, you know, it's essentially binary software that they run in their data centers. Sometimes they run it on the public cloud. Right now, that is by far the majority of our revenue. We saw the writing on the wall ways back, a couple of years ago, that providing CockroachDB as a service was going to be our future. And we've been working towards that future. We're starting to have revenue come in on that. And I very much expect that to be increasing Hard to predict a time when the, the those revenue streams cross, but I see that the revenue from the cloud over the next year, in particular, increasing dramatically. Frankly, the revenue from our um, on-premise deployments is going to be increasing too. It's hard to say, you know, which is going to have the steeper inflection curve yet. Has Kubernetes and containers threw a wrench in your world at all? No, Kubernetes has actually been great for us. A lot of databases. So Kubernetes provides easy running and administration of stateless services, stateless applications. But most databases don't fit into that world very nicely. CockroachDB fits in there very smoothly. So CockroachDB runs on Kubernetes nicely. We have a ton of our customers. It's the single most popular way to deploy CockroachDB is on top of Kubernetes. And additionally, we're using it as a Kubernetes as the backbone for our Cockroach cloud service. Um, that's how we run um, CockroachDB. So not only not throwing a wrench, it's actually Kubernetes is a bit of a wave where writing right now. Cockroach Labs has had some pretty epic funding rounds. I'm wondering if if you have any advice for entrepreneurs on how to survive this process. My co-founder, Spencer, he is fantastic. He has a kind of a superpower at at talking to the the VCs. And I think you need to have one of the one of the founders of the company be in that that role where he's interacting with our VCs, our current ones, as well as uh, potential future ones frequently. And I, it's a little bit of like a, a never-ending process. You know, you finish one round and other people who didn't get into the round are candidates for the, the next follow-on round. And you're always kind of thinking out to that future. We, we're in a, a Cockroach Labs is in a fairly nice position where there's the database market is huge and well understood. And it's well understood that it's not going to disappear. It might get disrupted, in various ways, and we see some of those disruptions happening. Oracle is the elephant in the database market, and yet to some degree, you know, a lot of people were considering them yesterday's news. AWS is kind of the growing elephant, and maybe it's the gorilla in the room to Oracle's elephant, and it's the thing that everybody's paying attention to. And, you know, they're kind of changing the, the revenue breakdown in that in that space. Um, but there's just such such a wide market area that there's plenty of room for new entrants. And that's one of the things that our investors saw and are excited to buy is that they know there's money. It's not like we're out there developing a new market from scratch. We're breaking into an existing market with entrants who are both very aggressive as well as entrants, which seems to seem to have befallen by the wayside. The business is not super old. I'm wondering if you have started to work on developing partnerships or collaborations, or maybe what companies have really helped you so far in the market. You know, we do direct sales to companies. We also have partnerships with various companies, with Object Rocket, it's a Rockspace company, partnership with IBM, and a number of others. I, I don't have the list in front of me. 
but a handful of partners. We're starting to work with integrators as well. I mean, those are certainly important ways for databases to get used and integrated into the system. We're also starting to work with companies that aren't buying us directly, but are building their own products on top of databases and want to work well with CockroachDB. We've seen this in the banking center, uh, sector, uh, for instance, where there's companies that are providing new infrastructure for core banking services to the major players, and they're looking at CockroachDB as enabling them to provide additional functionality. So when you raise VC money, there must have been a renewed effort to sort of shore up the sales and marketing. Has it been working? The history of, of Cockroach Labs is we spent, you know, kind of two years getting to our first 1.0 release of the product. You build something, you know, there's always a little bit of a, you know, we're always painting the vision of, hey, this is what we're going to build. And people are like, ah, oh, no, that's going to be too hard to build. But, you, know, you get that first proof point. You, you built it, you get the 1.0 version out there. And then like, oh, okay, you know, people were saying they're going to use this. So are they actually going to use it? And so that third year was about, oh, okay, yeah. We, we had users starting to kick the tires and, you know, a few risk-tolerant users getting it into production. And at the end of the third year is when we actually started convincing people to give us money for it. So those were very early efforts at the sales side. And then over the course of 20, 2018, last year, we really started to see an increase or ramp up in, in the revenue to the point where we're like, okay, it's time to actually put more fuel onto that fire. And that's where the next round came in. This was just recently, but we saw that like, ah, it's time to start putting more salespeople, more sales teams together. So 2018, it was primarily one sales team. I actually don't even know the number of sales teams right now. It actually might be up to uh, seven or eight sales teams. And that's like usually an account executive plus a sales engineer. We're starting to flesh out professional services offering as well. But you do this all when there's signals that these things are needed. Buy without professional services for quite a while because we just had sales engineers acting in that role. Now it's gotten to the point where it's a full-time role and we're actually looking to increase headcount there. We want to add account executives, which are just kind of pure overhead, until you actually can see that, oh, yeah, you have a product that you built that people are willing to give you money for and it'll actually work for these uh, for the customers in production. And that's where we, we were getting all that evidence in 2018. What was the timing of the, the fundraise? Because, you know, you're, like you're, you're trying to get from you know, milestone to milestone in the, the lifetime of the company. And the first funding was to you know, build the product. The second bit of funding was to get to the initial revenue. This, this latest funding is to be growing the revenue into a place where we can really you know, start expanding the, the sales team aggressively. Okay. And, and you, know, uh, you mentioned marketing as well, which I ignored so far there. I mean, a lot of the, there, there's more efforts going into the marketing side as well. So when you, when you grow in sales, you often grow marketing kind of in tandem. The salespeople need food <laughs> and the people who put the food in front of the salespeople are, are the marketing team. You know, they're generating the, you know, the initial you know, marketing qualified leads, which get handed over to sales, become sales qualified leads, and eventually some of those become customers. And do you consider the training for, to be part of the marketing of the product or is part of the product? Training is an important part of marketing it. It's an important part of delivering like a fuller product. It's almost part of the product itself. I mean, we like, I mean, there's a basic uh, way in which training is a marketing, which is people who, you know, get certified or do training on CockroachDB go out and then they'll tweet about it and they'll tell their friends, hey, I did this thing. This database is really cool. Um, in some ways, it's just kind of purely direct marketing in that sense. But it's also part of the product. People need to know how to use, you know, CockroachDB is, uh, we put a ton of effort in making it simple and yet still a complicated product and they want to know how to use it. 
And by giving them that education, they self-serve themselves and we have to put less you know, money into support. We still put a lot of effort into support, just hopefully there's less of it because people are trained up uh, on how to use CockroachDB properly. If you were to start another software company tomorrow, would you make it open source? I would love to make it open source. Probably would. I think if I was to start another one tomorrow, the, the big difference is it would almost certainly be a some kind of SaaS offering. You know, software as a service, you know, from the get-go instead of worrying about on-prem. You know, we were it, coming out with CockroachDB at an inflection point where even when we were founded four and a half, five years ago, when we were having these conversations, we knew database as a service was the future. And yet we were also seeing it wasn't quite here yet. And so we're trying to, you know, bridge this chasm right now between the old, old way of running databases and the new way of consuming them via, as a service. I mean, the, the market overall, you know, the big, all the big Fortune 500 companies, they almost all have you know, cloud strategies to get off their private data centers into the public cloud. These things are take a while to unfold, but there's just this huge, you know, we're seeing only the tip of the iceberg of, of how that's going to unfold. So my, my feeling is like now it's like you can sustain yourself as software as a service now. I and mean, it's been true for a while in a number of different markets, but I think you can do it for a database as well. And I, I would do open source. I'd do it, you know, database as a service, or I do whatever software as a service there if I was starting another company tomorrow. So last question, what do you think are the biggest challenges for new companies trying to use open source as part of their business model? Yeah, I mean, the challenges is, you know, you, you might be overly optimistic in how much impact open source, like your, your benefit you're going to get from the community. And, you know, there, there's kind of like, there's a success disaster that can happen there. If you develop something open source and actually gets incredible community traction, then there's actually a, a huge problem that comes with that, which is managing the development at that point. It's almost like the open source product can become owned by the community and they can take it and nudge it in directions that, that aren't necessarily in the you know, strategic long-term vision of the company itself. So I think kind of straddling that is an enormous challenge. Any company has this. People come and say, like, I want XYZ feature. And you're like, but that's going to conflict with this other feature that has been asked for. With open source, the challenge is they can just go and do it. Uh, they, they, can, they can fork it, you know, the open source, you know, can, they can do what they want with it. And trying to, to, to manage that can become a huge, huge challenge. Okay, Peter. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all that great advice and insights. My pleasure. It's great chatting with you, Mike. Thanks to the Cockroach Labs team for helping to organize and promote this podcast. Transcription and episode audio can be found on opensourceunderdogs.com. Music from Broke for Free and Chris Zabriski. Audio editing by Inez Satenji. Production assistance and transcription by Natalie Lau. Operational support from William Lau. Have comments? Tweet at us. The Twitter handle is at FOSS Podcast. That's F-O-S-S Podcast. iTunes listeners, send us your five stars. This can be your open source contribution for the day. Next week, we have a change of format. If you don't know the changelog, it's an epic open source podcast, currently with more than 350 episodes. The hosts are Adam Stachowiak and Jared Santo. We're going to republish an amazing episode of the changelog. You'll have to tune in next week to discover which one it will be. A big thanks to Jared and Adam for sharing this interview. Ad-free. Don't miss it next week. Until then, thanks for listening.